All right. So I want to uh, begin our sermon time this morning by asking a question because sometimes, quite honestly, folks, I'm not sure which way to go. Anybody in here a Star Wars fan? Yes. Anybody in here a Lord of the Rings fan? Yes. Okay, it looks like Star Wars gets it, so that's the illustration that I'll use. Uh, just a little bit later on, though, you'll have to wait for it. Now, over the uh, past several weeks, we've been spending uh, our sermon time in the book of Acts. We continue that trend today as we, we look at Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 25. I, I know that Doug read for us verses 1 through 13, but we're going to expand our scope just a little bit in our sermon time this morning. And today, as we look at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25, we see this one big idea. God's unstoppable plan means the other is fully included. God's unstoppable plan means the other is fully included. Jesus, only minutes before his ascension, his return to the throne room of God, uh, told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I think it's fair for us to say that, that really throughout the book of Acts, what St. Luke is doing is unfolding how Jesus accomplishes this mission through his apostles. St. Luke unfolds for us the growth and the expansion of the church of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the gift Jesus poured out upon his disciples after his ascension into heaven. Now, as St. Luke fleshes this out, we've seen then certain uh, important keystone events. Jesus ascending to heaven in chapter 1, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2, the, the birth of the church from chapter 2 with the preaching of Jesus crucified and risen in chapters 3 and 4 and 5, and signs and wonders being performed by the apostles in Jesus' name in chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5. We've also seen that uh, as the gospel became more popular, as men and women believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and as the church grew, the religious and civil authorities of the Jewish people began to oppose it. So St. Luke begins to record this opposition, this suppression, in chapter 4. It escalates in chapter 5 and comes to a tipping point in chapter 6 and seven with the murder of Stephen, to the point where we come to this passage in chapter 8. Uh, referring to the execution of Stephen, St. Luke writes, Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Now in all of this, in chapters 1 through 7, and beginning in chapter 8, all the way through the end of the book, all the way to the end of St. Luke's uh, Acts of the Apostles, the author here is very careful to point out that God's plan to bring his kingdom to bear upon the world in, through, and by Jesus the Christ, the crucified and risen Savior, that plan is unstoppable. 
Now, yes, the church will, and individuals will suffer setbacks, and they will suffer persecution. The apostles, at the end of chapter 5, or in the middle of chapter 5, were beaten and then released. Here, Stephen has been stoned to death. In a few chapters, James, the, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, will have his head cut off. Persecution comes, but even amidst that persecution, what happens is that the plan of God is unstoppable. The kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, continues to be proclaimed claimed works signs meal uh, healings works of mercy in jesus name continue to be done people continue to have faith and so really what we see then is god's plan is unstoppable and it includes the other the bold preaching of salvation through jesus in the power of the holy spirit the doing of signs and wonders in jesus name will go forward people will respond with faith even when those who carry the message are persecuted, oppressed, or murdered. British theologian Leslie Newbegin once said, when the fire is scattered, two things happen. The scattered pieces may burn out or they may start a wider conflagration. A bigger fire may emerge out of the scattering of flames. And that's exactly what we see in Acts chapter 8. With the persecution of the church, Luke tells us they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. In chapter, four, uh, chapter 8, verse 4, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. God's plan is unstoppable And those attempts to stamp out the church, to get the preaching of Jesus crucified and risen contained, and the uh, miracles done in his name to cease, those attempts only backfire. Because rather than putting out the fire, what these authorities have done is spread the flames. And Philip, who boldly proclaims Jesus to to the Samaritans, goes in fulfillment of what Jesus has said in Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, Philip's a really interesting person for us to recognize here. One, because quite frankly, sometimes it can be easy for us to think that only those people who are set apart, set aside for very specific ministries and tasks are given the responsibility of proclaiming Jesus. Uh, It can be easy for us to think uh, only the apostles were really about the preaching and teaching of Jesus and the doing of miracles. Well, that's nonsense. Philip was not an apostle. Philip uh, was one of the uh, established group of seven men from Acts chapter 6 that the apostles raised up to assist them in caring for the daily distribution of food and the, and the widows of the church. One of the, or some of the criteria to be named one of the seven was to be a man of good repute, have a good reputation, to be a man full of the Holy Spirit and a man of wisdom. And Philip then is uh, uh, not one of the 12 apostles or 11 apostles. Uh, Philip then is a man who had a good reputation, was full of the Holy Spirit, and had wisdom. And this is the one that God uses to take his unstoppable plan of kingdom expansion through Jesus Christ into Samaria. He is the one who goes and preaches about Jesus. It wasn't Peter or James or John. It wasn't one of those pillars of the church as Paul refers to them in the book of Galatians. Rather, it's Philip. He goes, he preaches Jesus, crucified and risen. He cast out demons and healed many in the name of Jesus. Philip has done exactly 
what Peter did in Jerusalem in the first few chapters of Acts. And Peter did only what he saw Jesus doing. So Philip, following his master's ministry, Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God and does healings. And there's significant impact. Significant impact. When verse 12 of, of, of Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. God's unstoppable plan marches on. Jesus is proclaimed. Miracles are done in Jesus' name. Disciples are made. Disciples are made even of the surprising other, Samaritans. Not only is God's plan unstoppable, but God's plan to bring salvation through Jesus includes men and women of all ethnicities. In this, the church is to look more like the rebel alliance than like the galactic empire. <laughs> think about it. You know, you think about the original movies, right? The bad guys of the Galactic Empire and the Rebel Alliance. The Rebel Alliance are the ones that had this huge multitude of, of humans and, and weird-looking aliens, right? I mean, Admiral Akbar, Return of the Jedi. It's a trap! He's a squid-looking character. But did the Galactic Empire have any non-British bad guys? No, they didn't even really have women hanging around. The church is to be mixed of people from every language, tribe, and tongue. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And that goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 12, where God says to Abram, I will bless you, and through you I'll bless the nations. Jesus shows this in his personal ministry. He sends his disciples out, not just to Jerusalem and Judea, but even to Samaria and to Gentiles at the ends of the earth. The inclusion of people from every race from every tribe, from every tongue, is something that the apostles and the early church had to learn and had to understand. And this learning began with Jesus following after him, and this learning began here in Acts. We have to understand who the Samaritans were to really capture uh, some of the hugeness of what's happening in Acts chapter 8. The, the Samaritans and the Jewish people had a long history of, at best, indifference towards one another and outright hostility, most commonly. This hostility went back to events several centuries before the time of Jesus. It went back to the breakup of the kingdom of Israel. After King Solomon, the son of David, had died, the kingdom of Israel split into two separate kingdoms. Ten tribes followed a king named Jeroboam, and created the king of Israel with their capital city of Samaria. And two tribes, following Solomon's son Rehoboam, created the kingdom of Judah with his capital in Jerusalem. I'd encourage you to go and read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and you'll see that the relationship between Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms, was not always great. Sometimes there's open conflict between the two. 
In the year 722, something huge happens as the northern kingdom of Israel, as its capital city, Samaria, was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And as a result, in this, this effort to keep rebellion from occurring, the Assyrians moved some of the people of Israel out, and they brought people from around their empire in. This colonization led to intermarriage. And the Samaritans of Jesus' day, those folks who are sort of sandwiched between Judea around Jerusalem and Galilee in the north, these Samaritans of Jesus' day were considered to be, forgive the expression, half-breeds. Added to this was the issue, added to this issue of genetics and this issue of ethnicity was a religious problem. Not only were they not pure in their ethnicity, but the Samaritans, as is reflected in John chapter 4, worshipped on Mount Gerizim and only accepted what we now call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. So while Jewish people and the Samaritans had some common heritage, they had significant differences which made them avoid one another. To the point where it is said in some places of, of Jewish writings that to touch the plate or the dish of a Samaritan would make you ritually unclean. To the point where uh, some Jewish folks, if they were traveling from Jerusalem to the Galilee, would go out of their way around Samaria to avoid any possibility of entanglement with these heretics who are uh, not on the same level in their DNA. Jesus changes things, however. During his ministry, Jesus began to expand the work of the kingdom. And in at least the instance of the events of John chapter 4, Jesus had great success among the Samaritans. God's unstoppable plan means that the other is fully included, even if they're Samaritans. Even if they have a different ethnicity, shade of skin, religious background, and voting pattern. In God's unstoppable plan, the other, those who don't look like us, those who don't think like us, eat like us, vote like us, can be and are fully included in Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus brought to the Samaritans by Philip brings freedom from a religious past and present superstition. The gospel of Jesus brought the Samaritans out of the influence of Simon the magician and his magic tricks. The gospel of Jesus and signs and wonders done in his name opened the eyes of the Samaritans lost in their sin, lost in their idolatry, lost in their superstition, and brought them to repentance, brought them to baptism, brought them to life in Jesus' kingdom. In seeking to be a church that glorifies God by blessing people with gospel ministries that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building his kingdom, we realize, we recognize that God's unstoppable plan welcomes the other and the gospel of Jesus redeems people of all ethnicities and all out of all religious backgrounds as Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Centuries ago, and not that long ago, perhaps even then centuries ago, it used to be that to encounter the other, we'd have to leave home. My friend Robbie Lindsay has pointed out to me that what we used to call the 1030 window, those parts of the world where there's a quote-unquote civilization wasn't and the gospel hadn't been, well, in America, they have come to us. In a very real way, we don't have to leave home to encounter the other. 
All we have to do is walk out the front door. And an amazing thing about Destin is that we encounter so many different people because of the J-1 program, because of uh, the, just the simple fact that immigrants come here to find jobs, to work, and to make a life for themselves. Folks, we don't have to go that far to encounter the other. And the other is precisely who we are to encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The other is fully included. And we see that being fully included means the other receives the Holy Spirit. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they, that's Peter and John, laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Why did the apostles send Peter and John? It isn't because there's something deficient in Philip's preaching or in Philip's proclamation. It's simply that within the earliest church, the apostles were the ones in authority, and as such, they simply needed to check it out. They do very much the same thing in Acts chapter 11 as the apostles in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch to check out what's happening there. It's an effort to ensure that everything is copacetic, that Jesus is being correctly proclaimed and and taught. But if there is nothing deficient in Philip's preaching, why hadn't the Holy Spirit come to the Samaritans? It makes sense to me, at least, that, that this is God's way of leading Peter and John and the other apostles to see and understand God's full inclusion of the other. Remember our gospel reading from this morning is a little bit odd, right? One of the other uh, odd passages of Scripture is found in 2 Kings where Elisha is getting harassed by little boys for being bald and he calls out a bear and the bear comes and mauls the little boys. Well, this is a weird one too in Luke chapter 9. The Samaritans have rejected Jesus, and so John and James, they say to Jesus, hey, you want us to call down fire and smote these enemies? Smote or smite? What is it? Smoten. I like that idea. Let's smoten them. Let's smite them with fire, Jesus. You want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus, of course, rebukes them, and they move on. It's not simply a coincidence that this is the same John. Now among, back among the Samaritans, now with Peter here laying hands upon the Samaritans and praying for something, praying for someone to come from heaven and land. John has to have his eyes opened as well. And we see that the Holy Spirit falls upon the Samaritans. Now, it's not in the text. It's not mentioned in the text. But in Acts chapter 2, as the Holy Spirit descends upon the church, there is the appearance of these tongues like fire, right, that kind of fell upon them. I I think, and this is just me with a spitball here, seeing if it sticks. I don't know. It's not in the text. I think I've said that clearly enough. But what if it is, as Peter and John are praying for the Holy Spirit to come, that that fire comes down? And that's pretty awesome because John had first wanted to smite them with fire, and now the Holy Spirit with fire is coming. I can't prove any of that. I just think it sounds pretty cool. And Steve's with me. He's laughing. God's unstoppable plan means the other is fully included. 
And as St. Luke continues to unfold the growth of the church as the gospel is proclaimed in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, the Holy Spirit comes and includes the other fully into the church. Here in Acts chapter 8, Peter and John witness the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit. Peter in Acts chapter 10 will witness Cornelius and other Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. Paul in Acts chapter 13 witnesses the Gentiles of Antioch and Pisidia receiving the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes that the Holy Spirit is the seal, the, inherit, the seal of the inheritance. And then in, Acts, in Ephesians chapter 4, St. Paul says there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all, the Spirit comes to fully include into one kingdom under Jesus Christ. And that's God's unstoppable plan, which means the other is fully included. And folks, we ought to be really excited that the other is fully included. Yeah, because I eat bacon. I make that as a joke, but the reality is we ought to be really excited that God includes the other because that means most of us in here. We find ourselves among the Samaritans and among Cornelius. We find ourselves among the ends of the earth. There's one more thing to be said about this particular passage. It is that God's unstoppable plan means, yes, the other is fully included. But we have to recognize that it is up to God to determine and direct his messengers. And it is up to God to give the Holy Spirit to those who believe. Simon the magician has to learn this the hard way. Simon had seen Philip do these amazing works. Simon himself had been a magician who could do magic tricks. And and here he sees Philip doing these amazing works in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Simon follows Philip around. Back in the the days when Jerry Garcia was still alive and, and the Grateful Dead toured all the time, there were deadheads who followed the band from place to place, listening to their music. It's probably the same show every night, I would suppose, with some differences. But, but here we have, we have uh, Simon, sort of a, a first century deadhead, following Philip around, wanting to witness these miracles, these awesome signs in the name of Jesus. But he wanted, when, Philip, when, when Peter and Simon came, or when Peter and John came, and, and, and Simon saw the giving of the Holy Spirit, Simon wanted to buy that. He wanted the power for himself. He wanted to, uh, he didn't understand that it, it wasn't Peter and John who poured out the Holy Spirit, that it was Jesus who did it through the apostles. And so Simon is looking to uh, harness the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to put the Spirit on a leash, like some sort of pet monkey, where he can call him out to perform, uh, to make him power and, and money, and then put him back when it's done. But that's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit isn't for sale. It's God's job, God's uh, prerogative to direct his messengers and to give his spirit as he sees fit to those who believe. The passage here, I think, is incredible. It's incredibly important for us, again, because it reminds us who are other that God welcomes us fully into his church. And as part of his church, it reminds us that God is still in the business of welcoming the other, other than us, look different, smell different, eat different, talk different, think differently, sing different songs. 
We're called to participate in God's unstoppable plan to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, to do works of mercy in his name, to pray for healing in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is God who gets to pick the audience. It is God who gets to pick the recipients as he desires the other to be fully included. And as an end note, there is a future reality when all of time and history has come to a stop, when God has completed his work of redemption and there is a new heavens and a new earth, there is a future reality in which the church of Jesus Christ worship forever and ever. And in Revelation chapter 7, it says that there is an innumerable host from every nation, every language, every tribe. It must be a reality for us in our present before it is a reality in our future. That's just the way God wants it. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.